Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. That's kind of the gift of impermanence, (laughs) is the appreciation, the deep appreciation of the preciousness of what we have. We have so much in any given moment, as bad as things might be, we still often have a lot. It's worth taking it in, isn't it? You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 292. Today, we're talking about how to stop burnout with Dr. Gail Gazelle. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hello and welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad to be talking to you. I'm filled with gratitude. Welcome. If you are a continued listener, so glad to connect with you. And I'm so glad to connect with you if you're new. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Gail Gazelle, a certified mindfulness teacher, former consultant for the U.S. Department of Justice, and one of the nation's preeminent physician burnout coaches. And she's the author of Everyday Resilience. And we're going to talk about what is it mean to be resilient? How do we build resilience? And in this really important episode, we're going to talk about how to like really build inner strength and weather life's changes. So I want you to listen for how looking into our strengths and past challenges can help us call upon them in future need. We're going to talk a little bit about that inner critic, how this voice might be developed from external voices we've heard over the years. 
and the gift of impermanence, like really appreciating what we have now. So this is a very powerful episode for you to listen to, and I can't wait for you to dive in. And just as a quick reminder, resilience tools are a part and parcel of the mindful parenting clear method. And the calm step in the clear method is all about those habits that study the heart, the mind, the nervous system, understanding and taking care of our triggers, taking care of difficult feelings, those essential tools for life, right? That is the building blocks of the mindful parenting method. And if you're ready to dive in, get that personal coaching, lifetime support that you need to really take things to the next level, go ahead and learn more. Get on the wait list at mindfulparentingcourse.com. So that's mindfulparentingcourse.com. And that's all I got to say before we dive into this awesome episode. Join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Gail Gazelle. So I'm thrilled today to have Dr. Gail Gazelle with me. And Dr. Gazelle is a certified mindfulness teacher a former consultant for the United States Department of Justice and one of the nation's preeminent physician burnout coaches. She's also the author of the new book, Everyday Resilience. So welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure I'm so happy to be to here. Thank Good. you. Good. And I, and I think that there's so much I want to talk to you about. Burnout is a big issue, whether, especially for physicians. And I know we have a lot of nurses and physicians who are our listeners, who are parents and, and also resilience, you know, we, we can all kind of relate to the ideas of burnout and resilience, but I, I know that you didn't just like, you know, decide one day, let's, let me think I have I'll, talk, I'll write about burnout and resilience is probably a, your own story that has led you to this work. Do you, do you mind sharing some of that? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll start near the present and then I'll go back a little bit in time. So I'm a physician. I spent most of my career as a hospice physician, taking care of people near the end of life, terminally ill individuals and their loved ones. And I learned a tremendous amount about resilience. You know, people are dealt a bad hand of cards through no fault of their own, typically a cancer diagnosis, for example. And you really, as a hospice worker, you see people who really mobilize, who really, you know, come to grips with the the difficulty that they're facing and in a sense, rise to the occasion in a sense, decide, well, I'm going to make the most of whatever time I have, as limited as it might be. And that's a lot of what resilience is about. So I've learned so much through being on sacred journeys with hospice patients. I've also spent the last decade working as an executive coach for other physicians. And you might think, oh, physicians, they're resilient. You know, they have everything that they need. But even before the pandemic, the life of the physician is very challenging. You know, obviously it's a high stakes profession to say the least. And many physicians are perfectionists and they're taught that they always have to have the answer. And if they don't, they're a failure. Mm. And what do physicians do when there's uncertainty like the pandemic, right? All of this uncertainty, all of this change. So As a coach working with physicians, I've learned just a tremendous amount about resilience in the physician workforce. But just to travel back in time as well, Hunter, I um, grew up in a complicated family. Like many of your listeners, I'm sure there was a lot of abuse in a family that looked great on the outside, you know, the white picket fence kind of family. 
And I've done a lot of work to um, recover, so to speak, from the challenges that I faced in my own childhood. And so I feel like I come by resilience, honestly. I have so much joy in my life now that I never could have imagined as a child or even you know, into my adult life when I was struggling with what had happened to me uh, as a young person. And it's been quite a journey, a successful journey. So I wrote the book to share what I've learned in a variety of pursuits because we all need resilience. You can be sure of that. Oh yeah, I, I'm sorry to hear about your the abuse that you suffered. It, and and it brings to mind for to me, um, you know, you're a, a little bit older person than I am. My <laughs> father, the white hair, <laughs> the white hair, give it away, Gail. Sorry, um, my my father um, and my grandparents. Like there are different standards and habits that were in generations, and it's and for me as you mentioned that, it brings to mind um, a, a number of things. But one of them is that when I think about like the things that drove me to do the work with mindful parenting, one is that, you know, when I was a little kid, my father spanked me and, you know, he had a big rage that was intense Mm. and I, and I saw it in myself, but I know that he, when he was a kid, you know, he was born in 1945 and his father beat him with a belt with a leather strap. And that's something that, nowadays, like we would call abuse and it was, but now at that time, they did not think of it that way. And it's just amazing to, um, I guess, to see like how, how we start to shift and understand things, but, but also to see like how, how that hurt him in so many ways in his life and, and the defenses that he has, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and that takes a lot to, you know, it, one, I can see from my own personal experience that, you know, with my father, some one can get stuck with these, with these defenses of, you know, uh, holding on to, so, so to overcome that, like, I mean, I guess I have a mm. lot of great respect for that. Mm. I'm not sure what my question is here, but I'm just no. relating to this. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's been a huge shift, and, and I'm sorry to hear that you suffered when you were a child. Well, it's so important what you're saying because we learn from our parents. And if we don't stop and reflect, we just repeat the same mm-hmm. things that we've learned generation upon generation. That's what you're talking about with the, the pattern of spanking and holding. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it takes so much conscious intention to step out of those automatic patterns, you know? So I I get what you're saying. I feel like I probably, in a way, stopped a cycle that I'm Mm -hmm. sure had been going on for numerous generations. And my son often says to me, you know, good job, mom, you stopped that cycle. Because he knows, he knows kind of the broad strokes of my family of origin. And that's so much I, I know of what your work is about in mindful parenting is, you know, mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to really understand our own patterns of reactivity in particular, because if we don't, we'll just reproduce them in our children. And then we all grow up thinking, oh, I'm not going to be like my mother and father. And then we realize one day we're exactly like them, <laughs> you know, if we didn't take the time to be very intentional about what we're doing, because our parents, after all, are our primary teachers. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole culture. So what did you do as a young person to sort of break free of that culture to start to transform these and heal these wounds that you had? Well, quite honestly, I got into therapy, mm-hmm. which I yeah. really needed. I didn't really have a way of making sense out of what had happened, particularly because my parents just looked great on the outside. You know, my father was a professor of social work. My mother was a high school teacher. There were no drugs, no alcohol. You know, it all looked just like a normal suburban family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was really confusing. So I needed a solid relationship with a therapist to help me come to grips with the enormity of what had happened. And then I um, found my own trajectory in mindfulness which has been an amazing, just an amazing approach, toolbox, set of strategies, you know, life enhancing. I can't say enough about it because it's really helped me see things more clearly, step out of some of the automatic ways that I was living and perhaps responding to my own emotional world and the emotions of those around them. It helped me, it helped me um, question a lot of my own thoughts and you know, for kids who are abused, it's almost inevitable that somehow you feel responsible. Mm. You feel like you brought it on, which of course mm. is crazy when you look at that objectively, but that's the inner world of a child. They wouldn't be doing these bad things to me if I hadn't done something. You know, it's kind of a magical thinking, maybe a way of having control in an out-of-control situation. Mindfulness really helped me with some pretty deep-seated stories that I had about myself that I was fundamentally flawed. Mm. There was something shameful about me that, again, had led to what happened in my childhood. And therapy was great. Mindfulness put the whole thing in fast motion (laughs) because it just kind of helped me see the stories that my mind was telling Mm -hmm. and fueling about myself. And uh, to really question whether those stories were true or not, because most of them weren't, they actually weren't. And that whole inner critic and imposter syndrome, the whole thing was like a big swirl inside that fed me these messages that there was something really wrong with me, as opposed to, okay, I'm not a perfect being, but let's let's try to switch that focus to what's right about me and what's right about others. To me, that's a lot of the power of mindfulness than getting to know our own mind and Mm. realizing that we have a lot more choice about our mental patterns than we often realize. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. 
That's it. Understood explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, or Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. There's there's so much there that you said that's just <laughs> so, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I think that that takes a, you know, that, that ability to like see those thoughts and say, are they true? Are they not true? Is, is incredible, right? Like it's something that's, I, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit hard to convey to somebody who maybe hasn't been through that experience of, of, of realizing that you are not your thoughts and having this separation from them to understand what a sense of freedom that is because then you're actually the one choosing in some ways like you're you're able to say no I don't think this is right or is that really true and all like just like you said is, is that true do I have to believe that I mean and, and it's it's hard to it's sometimes hard to convey I think to it, someone who hasn't had experience with with mindfulness the idea that that you're believing all of your thoughts and that, that it doesn't have to be that way, that it's, does that make sense? Well, it's so funny how our minds are these storytelling machines in a way. And we just don't learn to question those stories. Somehow we mm -hmm. think that because it's a thought, it's real and it's true and it's factual. And I, I hear what you're saying, that word freedom. Once you begin to see that a lot of your thoughts are the opposite of factual. They're really a lot of fake news going on. It just, one, you can see the truth more clearly. You know, that's the wonderful thing. You gain more clarity. You know, you can really see, that's just a fabrication of my mind. That just isn't reality-based. So it just takes you to, yes, freedom, liberation, in a sense. Um, but it starts with that tuning in and really getting to know your own mental processes. And they are really fascinating when you stop and get to know them. 
<laughs> you mentioned suffering with a lot of things that I think that people that so many listeners can relate with, like this idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. There's something fundamentally flawed with me. And I think that may be, you know, it's part of like the innate human dissatisfaction, right? That maybe the mm. Buddha talked about, right? Like the dukkha, right? There is this yeah. sort of like innate human satisfaction. And I remember thinking about that for a long time and feeling like that, that I'm not sure if that ever goes away. I've been practicing meditation for a long time. And then at some point it did go away. Like this sort of like, I have moments now of the innate satisfaction. And then most of the time, 80% of the time, I don't have that anymore. And I, I guess I'm sharing that with you as a listener to, to know that it's possible that that, that can go away. But what helped And you talk a lot in your book about, you know, cultivating positivity, cultivating self-regulation, right? What are some of the, what are the, some, you, you started practicing mindfulness. How did you start to shift that voice in your head? Was it only through the meditation practice? I would say it's a variety of things, um, and it's been a long journey. I want to echo what you're saying, that that voice is such a product of, one, the negativity bias, and two, the way most of us are raised. Parents, very well-intentioned parents, are still kind of like, you know, why are you doing that? You should stop bugging your brother or leave me alone. You know, I just need to get some work done here. Or you should do better in math. The bias in parenting is often toward the negative. And we, we start internalizing these voices from our parents and from teachers and from coaches that I think prey upon the normal negativity bias. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the the parents, coaches, teachers' negativity bias meeting yeah. the child's negativity bias, yeah. and it multiplies. That's right. And if it makes sense, I, I wouldn't mind just reading a couple of paragraphs from my book because actually the part about working with the inner critic is my favorite part of the book, and I've gotten a lot of feedback that it's been particularly helpful for people. So maybe I'll yes, just yes, read a do. few paragraphs. Um, often the inner critic is a mix of critical voices we've heard over the years from parents, teachers, siblings, coaches, and others internalized and knit together into a painful chorus of personal inadequacy. Over time, the voice becomes so familiar that we may even believe that it's our own. Because of feelings of shame around the abuse that I suffered, I developed an internal voice that said that there was something deeply wrong with me and I was different from others. From the way I walked to how I looked to almost everything I said, this harsh voice ran my life, limiting me in countless ways. But voices like these are never true to the unfolding reality of who we are, not for me and not for you. The inner critic's messages are based on selected snapshots and inaccurate ones at that. They don't reflect the full story of who we are and what we do in all the moments of our lives. The inner critic ignores our moments of tenderness, kindness, generosity, and goodwill that are also part of our days. Nevertheless, that voice can be powerful. I'll stop there. But um, we all have this inner critic and 
Tara Brock, a mindfulness psychologist and educator, talks about the trance of unworthiness, which is again, kind of a, a name for this, this trance that we walk around in, that there's something defective about us. And I feel like so much of my life's work and what I've tried to do in my book, Everyday Resilience, is help people dwell more in the good that resides within them, help them see the inner strength and resources that, frankly, Hunter, we all have within us, but we don't always learn that it's there. That's a lot of what resilience is about. It's stepping out of these mental stories and questioning them, getting to know the, kind of the other side of the coin all the good that's within us and to celebrate that more. It's not to say that we're perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's sort of a, an expression that you may know, you know, you're, you're wonderful just as you are. And there's always room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's so, it, and it, and I think it's just so helpful to understand that, like, you know, we talked about that negative negativity bias and just to understand that, it, this is like kind of the natural state of our nervous system, right? Just because mm -hmm. of evolution, just this, just what we're given, right? Is that we're just prone towards the negative. The, the neuroscientists say we're, we're, we're uh, Teflon for the positive and Velcro for the negative, nice. right? And, and so when we can understand that we can say, okay, like this is just, this is just the wiring I have. And so, and understand that it makes sense that it takes more work to mm -hmm. get yourself then to neutral and get yourself then to a more positive place. Like, of course, then it takes some work to, to get there. And then if you've, and so in some ways, like people who have suffered in a lot, you know, a lot or a little in different ways in their childhood have, you know, if, if you've had some difficulty that has kind of forced you into that work, it's, it's like, in, in some ways, it's like the silver lining of it is that you start to do that work, you know, where, does that make sense? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's worth, it's work that is worth doing the payoff, the freedom, the joy, the goodness, the deepening of relationships that I've certainly experienced myself. And I've seen it with hospice patients that I work with, their families and their time of grieving with physicians that I work with. And I've seen it in my own relationship with my son. Mm -hmm. you know, my, my son's 23. He's been home because of COVID. That's quite a silver lining to have your adult child come back. And there's just so much laughter and joy in the household. It's yeah. really wonderful. And I, I know that a lot of that joy comes from the journey of facing some of the difficulty and working through it and shedding a lot of the baggage that I was carrying around because of life events. All right. So maybe we should define <laughs> what resilience is and like, what are some of the things that can help us get to there? Mm. Mm. Resilience people often think of as that rubber band, you know, uh, mm. bending, but not breaking or the willow tree that bends in the wind and those are reasonable, but I, I think resilience is something more than that. It's really a renewable resource that we all have within us, even when we don't know that we do, which allows us to draw upon these inner resources to help us meet 
with and cope with whatever challenges we face. I, I define resilience as a deep well of strengths, courage, goodness, fortitude, and resources that again, we all have within us that um, can allow us to face the challenges that we have to in our lives, small or large, with minimal, unnecessary, physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual duress. In other words, we all face challenge. That's a part of life. We all do, even though sometimes we can feel like, gosh, why me? But it's never why me. It's all of us face difficulty and challenge. And not personal. <laughs> it is not personal. We can really see that with COVID. This yeah. is the whole globe of people facing these challenges, right? And that's the nature of challenge is that we're never really singled out. And when we can tap into and harness our own resilience, we actually, we actually find that we have what we need. And that may sound surprising to your listeners, but I would encourage people to pause for a minute and think back on challenges that they've overcome, either as a child or as an adult, perhaps an illness, an accident, a difficult boss, a job transition, challenges you know, with a child and special needs or other difficulties, challenges taking care of an ailing adult, a parent. So we can look back at those. And when we look back, we realize, wow, we got through it. <laughs> as difficult as it was, we did mobilize. We did harness internal and external resources to get us through those difficulties. And it's so important to stop and do that because we can so easily be overwhelmed and fall into that pit of, I can't, I don't have what I need. How am I going to get through this? Very normal to experience that. And yet, if we can pause and reflect, we realize that we actually evidenced a lot of strengths in past challenges. And then we can remind ourselves, oh, I do have those strengths. Let me think about how I can apply them to what I'm struggling with now. That's a powerful exercise that can help us really get in touch with our inner capacities, which are often something we really kind of underestimate. We, we think it has to be something outside of ourselves, but we have a lot of what we need inside. Which, which goes back to the like debilitating quality of like that inner critic. I mean, what you're mm -hmm. kind of saying, it goes to that, like, um, whether, wasn't it, was it Ford who said, whether you believe you can or you, whether you believe you can't, you're right, right. you know? <laughs> and I love that quote, and, but you're, you know, what you're describing, right? This deep well of strengths and courage and wisdom. We have to, we have to believe, we have to, you know, believe that it's in there. You know what I mean? We have to not be so bogged down by the negativity bias that we'll even look at and access those strengths, mm -hmm. you know, because we won't, we won't access them and cultivate them, them if we don't believe they're in there. So it, it, it mm -hmm. kind of goes back to that in some ways. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. 
Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. It goes back to that and being willing to take a closer look mm-hmm. and really see what's there. It's more yeah. honest what you're describing. Yes, yes. It's more honest. It's the truth. This isn't sort of a Pollyanna, oh, I'm great and I don't have any flaws. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a realistic appraisal. What have I struggled with in my life? Which for any of us, it's not going to be a short list for any human being. And how did I, what, how, how did I get through that? What did I do? And you might think to yourself, oh, it wasn't me, you know, it was my husband, or it was some other, you know, I changed jobs. But I would push that individual to think, well, you picked that husband, didn't you? <laughs> you stayed in that marriage, you did that work, you knew that you needed a different job, you know, what, what part did you play in it? And it's often, really validating and helps us to focus more on our capacities. So what are some ways that we can cultivate more positivity and we can kind of dampen some, and and I guess, you know, I talk about interrupting that negativity bias, Mm -hmm. but what, what would you say to that? I would say one very practical thing that we can do is look at what we're doing well. So I work with physicians now. I work as a a master coach with fellow physicians. And you'd be surprised how many physicians get caught in the sense of not doing enough. And so Mm -hmm. here we are in the pandemic. (laughs) And I've coached intensive care unit docs, physicians. Oh, I'm not doing very well. I couldn't save that mom of those two teenage boys or an emergency room physician, oh, I can't keep up with all the sick people, what's wrong with me? Or a family physician doing telehealth visits, uh, I'm not a real doctor, I'm not on the front line saving lives. So Mm -hmm. this focus on what we aren't able to do, a simple, very practical approach is to look at what we are able to do. Mm-hmm. The end of every day, a list of three things that you did well that day or three things that you accomplished. Many of us go to sleep at night. Oh, I 
couldn't do this and I couldn't do that and look at all I have to do tomorrow, right? And then, then we wonder why we can't sleep. So we can begin to cultivate that ability to focus more on the positive by looking at the reality. Maybe that physician couldn't save lives, but they were there for their patients. They didn't abandon their patients in a time of need. That's no small thing in the pandemic. Yeah. They showed up, they brought all the expertise that they could and the wonderful human element. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> so yeah. we can begin to kind of fill and replenish our well of resilience by focusing on the good that we are able to do and the things that we do accomplish. You know, that's at the heart and soul of positive psychology, focusing more on what we what human beings do well rather than what they don't do well, rather than focusing on all the pathology, right? Which mm -hmm. dominated the field of psychology for decades, if not centuries. Shifting that focus to, hmm, yeah, I guess I didn't do a lot. How do you like that? And that gives us then the energy and the motivation to go forth and do more good in the world. So it's, um, it's, a, it's really important. And we, we can, again, cultivate more of these attributes. It's never about just saying to somebody, oh, be more positive. Just step out of the negativity bias. You know, that's kind of psychobabble. But it's tools, specific tools to help people dwell more in the goodness. I think it's really important as a parent as well. We can get very caught up in what our child isn't doing well, and what we want them to do more of, right? And it can mm -hmm. be deeply frustrating and not always as motivating as we'd like it to be when we point that out to the child, right? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not that helpful sometimes. <laughs> right, and yet easy to do. Yes. And yet, you know, and then we, even at its worst, we can start thinking that our child is sort of a bad apple of some sort. There's mm -hmm. something wrong with the child when children are just beautiful, innocent beings who have a lot to learn in the world, right? So we can, I, I think it's an important exercise for parents as well to pause at moments of frustration in particular and think, whew, what's good about this little child who's driving, quote unquote, driving mom crazy, you know, because they're just being themselves. Yeah, they're so just that, trying to get yeah. their needs met. Yes, yes. Yeah. It can help us help them get their needs met and frankly, get our needs met and really work together in, in a, an effective partnership. I love this idea of like focusing on what you were able to do at the end of the night. And again, this is not because you're deficient in any way in positivity. It's just because we all have a natural negativity bias, but we could do that for yes. sure as you know, physicians could, you know, parents, we can do that, especially if you're, you're at home and every day feels like a, a run on into mm. a big, long, you know, blur of days. Mm. And it, it, it really can help to just say, okay, what did go well in, in, um, my mindful parenting course and membership, what the first thing we do in every session is what are your wins? What did you, what, what worked well for you? What is working for you? Maybe it's just showing up, right? If you're mm. having a, a hard day, but, but showing up, like you said, is something like that is something. And, mm. and that helps us to, you know, what we practice grows stronger. That's helps us to show up again and, and do it again and, and help you be more resilient and, and bounce back from that. I love that, you know, so I, true. So would you suggest uh, that we could, you know, ways of 
you know, this way of being more resilient to, um, to consciously and intentionally focus on some of our strengths is that's probably something we can certainly teach our, our kids, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm so surprised at how negative my, my, you know, my child's voice is. She's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm like, yet, honey, you can't do it yet. (laughs) You know, it's like, it, it can be hard to, to watch somebody, our kids' negativity bias in, in, yeah. in action. <laughs> right, right. And they learn it from those around them, you know, in the, on TV, us, you know, other relatives, right? I mean, we, we're, we're such a smart species. We're always learning as kids. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's one strategy. I think um, a couple of others. One, self-compassion. It's so important um, for parents, for physicians, really for all of us to, you know, remind ourselves that we're working really hard for parents during the pandemic. It's perfectly unreal, you know, to have your full-time work, your domestic responsibilities, and oh, by the way, now you've got to take care of your kids 24-7. Oh, and we didn't tell you, you've got to educate them too. So, and you have to entertain them because they can't be with their friends and they can't go to extracurriculars. It's really unreal. And so with self-compassion, instead of getting into bed thinking, I can't believe I lashed out at my kids. What's wrong with me? I'm a bad mom or dad. To actually put your hand over your heart and remind yourself, this is really hard. This is really demanding. You know, every parent similarly situated to myself is going through the exact same challenges. So to give yourself a little space for being an imperfect human being amongst other imperfect human beings, we're all imperfect and parenting certainly shines a light on that. So to take that time to remind yourself that it's hard and you're doing the best you can. We all need those reinforcements. And the more we can build that muscle of compassion toward ourselves, we can actually be more present in compassion with our kids. And with others. So I, I think that's critically important, particularly during the pandemic. And the other strategy, very practical strategy, is purposeful pauses. Mm. Nothing fancy. Just noticing when your emotional temperature, you know, like, oh, I can't believe, you know, they interrupted me one more time. I just have to get one report read, you know, done or some meeting that I'm on Zoom. And noticing that your emotional temperature is rising. And using that as a cue to take a pause and take three slow, deep breaths, perhaps a long exhalation phase that really invokes the parasympathetic nervous system, the brakes, as opposed to that, the gas pedal of, you know, reactivity. I think it's a really underutilized, simple practice that can make all the difference because in that little pause, you realize also that you have a choice, the freedom that you were talking about, Hunter, you have a choice. Okay, I can be reactive and irritable and I'm really gonna regret it later. I'm not gonna feel good about myself and that's what my kids are going to see. Or just calm myself down a little bit and realize, you know, none of this is that important. My kids are healthy. It's all good. We're gonna be fine. Like that pause is just invaluable. I know for myself as a parent, that was really a game changer for me, adding those pauses, especially when my son was a teenager. 
the temptation to just, you know, they come at you, you're the worst mom in the neighborhood, the planet, whatever, you know, you wouldn't get me this video game, whatever it is. And, you know, we react like, oh, but I've given you so much. How can you be saying these things to me? You've hurt me. You've mortally wounded me. You know what I mean? We go to this oh my God. crazy reactive space and then we yell at them and they yell back. I mean, it's just this reactive mess. But if we can pause, we realize, eh, that's just what teenagers say. Come on. Why take it seriously? Why take it personally? You know, we can just take a few deep breaths and then, okay, yeah, we leave the room and we come back, you know? We just don't fuel that reactivity cycle. You, you have no idea how close to home this is because <laughs> these earbuds that I'm using right now, uh, they, they, I had some other earbuds that only could hear out of one ear and I did an interview and I was like, I cannot. So I went to my almost 14 year old daughter's oh. friend. I said, I need to use your earbuds. And, you know, in my mind, she was so difficult about it. And in my mind, I'm like, oh you know, all the things. So, uh, yeah, this yeah. is like getting quite close to home for oh, me. But, we're yeah. human beings. Let Our me step into the big picture, step into the big picture. And that actually reminds me, you talk about the three marks. What are the three marks and how can they help us? Oh, this is a Buddhist concept, the three marks of existence, which frankly, we could also call the three facts of life. Mm -hmm. And they're very simple. One is that suffering occurs. Suffering is part of life, difficulty, challenge. Every human being suffers. It's just a part of the package. That's the first mark. The second mark is that everything changes. Everything is impermanent. And some of that is welcome news, you know, bad things shift, that's welcome. Part of impermanence is a hard pill to swallow that relationships change, people leave our lives, you know, in various ways. But that's the second mark that everything changes. And the third is that little in life is personal. The third, if you, you know, wanted to study Buddhism has to do with the self, but it really translates in Western society to how seriously we take ourselves. We think everything's about us, <laughs> right? You know, why me? Why is this happening to me? They said something that was hurtful to me or, you know, why am I the one, you know, you go on Facebook, you feel like everybody's lives are wonderful and what's wrong with mine that I have the struggles that I have. But what that third bark says is that eh, it's just the way it rolls. You're no different from anybody else. There's a lot of randomness out there. So yeah. I, I think the three marks of existence are a very important concept for building resilience. Again, mm -hmm. realizing that it's not just you, that's powerful. We, we add on a lot of mental stories about what's wrong with me that I can't cope. A common story that I'm sure your, your listeners are aware of, like, well, the other moms seem to be doing just fine during the pandemic. You know, they're not getting upset with their kids. What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And yet this is the reality for being a mom <laughs> in the time of the pandemic and otherwise, right? So there's a lot less suffering when you can come back to that knowledge that it's not you. Similarly around impermanence, um, you know, that things will shift. Whatever difficulty I'm in, time, time will pass. And I'll look, I'll see this in the rear view mirror and I'll realize, oh gosh, it seemed like such a big deal, but was it really? So mm -hmm. impermanence is kind of our friend in that way. So I, I think having that flexibility of mind to realize that suffering is the lot of everyone and that change is part of life and that it just isn't personal to me 
can mm-hmm. really make it, it make it much easier for us to bear the challenges that we face. It allows us to accept it. You know, it's like, that's mm-hmm. like to, you know, we're given the story in our society, in our culture, that we should be comfortable all the time. We should be happy all the time. And to instead have the truths that no, everybody suffers, everybody has difficulty, look, which we know, of course, you know, as soon as you say, it, it's like, well, of course, <laughs> but that, and the, the truth of impermanence um, is, you know, I find, I find it so, so helpful. I started, I started studying uh, Buddhism when I was a teenager and I, and I, I love the idea of, I, and I thought about that as I was, um, studying art history with the idea of the memento more and what uh, painters in the past and, and also in the present too have put in a memento more or they sometimes some, some paintings put in like a hidden sort of skull in the painting, which is like this just reminder of death, which is this reminder of impermanence. And it sounds like a little bit morbid, but if you remember that you're impermanent, like you're not gonna, you know, it's, it's happening for all of us as just the one escapable, inescapable thing, then we can be more present for what's here. You know, we can, you know, take that step back and see that, you know, see all this, see that it's not personal. It's not, per, you know, take, take that step mm-hmm. back and, and really actually be more attentive to what we want to be attentive to mm-hmm. rather than, you know, and give our, our lives the focus that we want to give it rather than just letting our, you know, our, our manic mind or our autopilot just take over. We can just be more intentional. I think when, when we remember these things. Without a doubt, we've all had near misses, right? You know, your kid takes the car and they don't come back for the 10 o'clock curfew and you're thinking, oh no, you know, something really awful happened, right? Or we have a slightly abnormal finding at the doctor's office and we're not sure if it's going to be something bad. And in those moments, we were faced with the impermanence. And then when we get to the other side of it and the teenager comes home with the car, we find out that the lab finding was just a fluke and we're fine. It's like, Oh, phew. And we, we feel so appreciative of what we have, right? So appreciative that that teenager is alive and in your life and the beautiful being that they are. And that's kind of the gift of impermanence <laughs> is the appreciation, the deep appreciation of the preciousness of what we have. We have so much in any given moment, as bad as things might be, we still often have a lot. <laughs> and it's, yeah. worth, it's worth taking it in, isn't it? And, and it's worth doing all the things you talk about in your book, Gail, like cultivating self-regulation, cultivating positivity, cultivating mindfulness, cultivating a practice to steady the heart, right? It, it, it just allows us to be able to, you know, it's hard to be a human being on earth and just to be able to show up for the like intensity and difficulty of mm-hmm. just everybody's life. It, it, it's, um, it really points to why, why we need to do that. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like, you know, we're, you, you write something really beautiful in your book, which is, well, none of us can write a new beginning. We can all write a new ending, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's really beautiful. It very much speaks to your work as a, a hospice doctor. My mother was a hospice nurse for, oh. for most of her career and, uh, and she's retired now. Hi mom. Uh, <laughs> she listens to every episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I love this idea that we can write a new ending. Mm-hmm. So as we start to like, think about this, like if we think about, you know, as you think about that, like wh- what are the things that I guess for you, kind of going back to your own personal story, what are the things that you, uh, I guess the, the values and intentions that you want to bring into like kind of your, your life or, or you want your, your, I don't want to say the word ending, but that's the truth of it. Like that we want to, <laughs> that we want to be, that you want to be intentional about and, and how are you going to, how are you going to cultivate those? Mm. Well, that's kind of a big question. I guess so, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've come to understand that my purpose is to be with people in their dark moments, in their difficulties in the world, and help them see that they don't have to be alone with them. Mm. And further, it's to help people really be more in touch with the truth of who they are, that deep well of resilience. So to help people see the wisdom and goodness and strengths that they have within them and dwell in them more and more, you know, we each deserve that. We deserve to dwell, to live in the good that we are. So that's, that's my deepest purpose. And I, I don't know that I always knew that, <laughs> you know, I wasn't even sure why I went, want, I, I went to medical school to work in end of life care, but I didn't really understand why. And then I gravitated to helping colleagues who were struggling with burnout and didn't learn to be resilient. Medical training in many ways erodes our resilience. Um, And I've just really come to understand that that's what I'm here to do. And that's what I tried to do in the book. The book is short and it's very practical. And I wasn't sure when I wrote it if, you know, I was just kind of repeating things that other wise people had said. And the feedback that I've gotten is, you know, that I was really able to synthesize a lot of wisdom in a short, very practical, accessible manner. And I think that's what people want. And that's part of my purpose. If my book can help to be there for people in their difficult moments and give them a sense of hopefulness, then I feel great. That's the contribution that I want to be making in the world. So we kind of what I'm hearing you say is that we can start any time to kind of cultivate this resilience that it can be a dark and difficult time. It can be a time where maybe we haven't been, you know, we've been feeling burnt out. Um, you know, for people who are in like a dark and difficult time, what are some of the first steps that you recommend? We've touched on quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first step is self-compassion. Yes. To be kind to yourself in your moments of difficulty. I describe in the book something that some of your listeners may be familiar with, a self-compassion break. Mm-hmm. Actually, a little break where you physically put your hand over your heart. If it's comfortable, you put your other hand over your belly and kind of squeeze a gesture of hugging yourself. And you remind yourself that what you're going through is really difficult, really difficult. And you deserve compassion in that moment. I think that we cannot give ourselves too much compassion. It's not selfish at all. It helps us be more present for others in our world. So first and foremost, um, lots of doses of self-compassion. 
And then, you know, just on a practical level, some sort of mindfulness practice, some sort of paying attention to your own mind, just getting to know what's what's going on up there anyway. And really um, not judging it because it is what it is, (laughs) but getting to know it. And in doing so, you invariably realize that you can work with it more effectively. So those are those are a couple of things. I I couldn't agree more. Um, so so beautiful. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure to meet you and talk to you today, Gail. Where Likewise. can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, my website www.gailgazelle.com. I offer a free chapter of my new book if that's of interest to people. And then I have a a course that I'm launching, uh, Imposter No More. So many people suffer with the imposter syndrome. And you know what? You don't have to. You can learn how to vanquish it. It's really just a thought process. So that'll be coming out in the next month. And I encourage people to take advantage of it. Well, thank you so much. It's Again, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your wisdom and your voice and, and spending this time with you. It's been great. Thank you. This has really been a pleasure. Thank you. I love what Gail says that impermanence is a gift, right? This appreciation is a gift that we can really can wake us up to what we have in this moment, even when things are challenging as we had. I had a challenging day today. And like, as I reflect on that, it's like, ah, it puts all the things in perspective instantly. It's amazing. I'm wondering what you're taking away. What are you taking away from this? I'd love to know. You can tag me at Mindful Mama Mentor and let me know what you take away from this. I I would love to know what are your ah ahas and if you appreciated this episode. So please do let me know. It really makes a big difference to me and the team to do all the things we do to bring this episodes to you. So I would love, love, love to know. Let me know. And I just want to let you know that I'll be back in your podcast player this Friday with a Mindful Parenting Bite episode talking about the truth about punishment. So this will be a short, quick episode. So make sure you tune in. Just perfect size episode for pick up and drop off or whatever you're doing. And I just want to thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here, being a listener. Thank you for sharing and doing the things you do to support this movement. As you create more peace in yourself, you create more peace in the world. It is absolutely true. So thank you for doing that work to share, to make create more peace in yourself, to listen to something that will shift things for the better like this amazing episode. So I want to thank you for being part of here, for listening all the way here to the end. And and just I want to share my gratitude for that. And I wish you a really beautiful week. I wish you peace and calm and joy in all the little things that you can appreciate in your life. And I will be back to talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and 
not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.